We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. Eye on Veterans. Here's retired Marine Captain Chaz Henry. The issue came up recently when ConnectingVets.com reporter Eric Dame was talking with Melissa Bryant of the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. Melissa is the group's chief policy officer. As she told Eric the group's key advocacy issues for 2018, the conversation turned to an issue making it onto that list for the first time. My father's a Vietnam vet. 50 years later, he is still suffering from the effects of walking through defoliated areas with Agent Orange. And so that I have to question, well, where am I going to be 40 years from now? And what are the health challenges that I'll face from the exposure to Everything from the dust levels to metals in the air, apparently, for those of us who are around uh, the Drew Base Complex um, in Iraq and Baghdad, to the multitude of materials that were burned in burn pits, everything from human waste to, uh, you know, all sorts of other hazard materials uh, with JP-8 on top of that, um, whole planes that were burned. I mean, anecdotally, I've heard so many stories, and, and sadly, this is another area where we need more data. We need to ensure that we're capturing the data of those who are exposed downrange. It needs to start from the DOD side and then transfer over into what hopefully would be in your electronic health record as you become a veteran and transition into the VA of ensuring that those who have been exposed, we're able to track who's been exposed. And then we can start peeling back the layers of the onion to see where those exposures lead to bad health challenges. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the first Gulf War uh, and some of the physical uh, problems and health problems that people had afterwards that that many Gulf War veterans uh, blamed on the oil fires that were set by Saddam's people in Kuwait as they uh, retreated back towards Iraq. And that was something that it seemed fairly cut and dry that, yeah, these guys were exposed to these toxic fumes in the air. But being able to prove that that was what caused their health issues, because most of the health issues were things that, you know, you could have gotten. Uh, from being exposed to something else. It could have been a genetic thing. It seems like that may be a sticking point when it comes to trying to initiate support for injuries and health issues arising from this. It, it is a sticking point. Um, however, we are starting to see the the tide start to turn uh, in that the court has re- recently recognized that uh, pulmonary uh, lung disease, um, certain health um, challenges like pulmonary lung disease, have been correlated to exposure to toxic fumes and and what have you downrange. And so that was just a recent decision that came down from the court just uh, in the last few weeks. So we're starting to see where the science and where uh, some of the air quality samples and and other methods of tracking this are are being captured. And you're showing that correlation between the ailments, the veterans, and the places where they were exposed. But there's still a lot more that needs to be done. Um, There's a rising increase of cancers, um, cancer diagnoses, and we understand that there's correlation between those cancer diagnoses and uh, folks who are exposed to toxic fumes and and other um, exposures while they were deployed. And that's something that we want to ensure 
is captured by the VA and, and also by DOD is because again, anything that you can do on the other side of the DD-214 um, that will help you as you transition into your veteran life. Filmmaker Greg Lovett, who we've spoken with before on the show, is producer of a documentary detailing the burn pit issue. We caught up with him recently after a Washington, D.C. screening of his film, Delay, Deny, Hope You Die. Remind us uh, what the picture is about. Well, Delay, Deny, Hope You Die is about garbage, in a word. Um, During the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, the military didn't really know what to do or really think about what they should do with garbage that was being accumulated during the war. Uh, Each soldier um, creates about nine pounds of garbage and trash and waste per day on the battlefield when you think of just all the computers and papers and trucks and and plastic water bottles that they use. And they didn't really know what to do about it, so they came up with this brilliant idea of throwing it into big, huge pits, setting it on fire, and burning it. And many soldiers talk about these black plumes of smoke that just hung over the bases, the ashes that they had to wipe off their, their clothes, and, and even some of the machinery and the airplanes they worked on. Fast forward 10 years later, now it turns out that many, many soldiers, maybe hundreds of thousands of soldiers, are sick with illnesses related to the toxins that they were exposed to. When we last talked, you were just getting ready to uh, begin a series of screenings across the U.S. Where have you shown the picture, and uh, what's the reaction been? Well, we premiered it in October in Los Angeles, and since then we've probably done about 20 or 25 cities, Houston, uh, Phoenix, Tampa, Columbus, Ohio, and then most recently, um, March 8th in Washington, D.C., we actually had a couple screenings, a private one that was organized on Capitol Hill by Senator Udall, and then a more public screening that evening at a, at a mainstream cinema. Their reaction has been, um, I was going to say positive, but that's maybe the wrong word. I mean, it has moved people. There's been anger, sadness. Um, some people come up to me afterwards and ask what they, what they can do to help. A lot of frustration when veterans especially come and watch. Obviously, they live through this. Um, some feel kind of like confirmation because they're fighting a battle and they they get a little bit of comfort knowing that other people are fighting the same battle. It's not just them. But mostly it's just people are are moved by what they see. Um, it's Some of the documentaries hard to watch, as you know. Um, and a lot of people come up to me afterwards and ask, what, what can we do? What can we help? How can we get these soldiers the recognition that they deserve? Tell us about some of the people you feature in the film and how their lives have progressed from when you first met them to uh, now? Well, in short, uh, the li- their, their lives are getting worse. Um, Brian Alvarado is a former Marine sergeant who lives in Long Beach, California. And, I mean, he was a big, strapping young man. And now he's just, to put it bluntly, a skeleton. He has a tracheostomy, so he can't eat, he can't speak, he has a feeding tube. Um, and he's quite often in and out of the hospital. The VA, for example, because they don't recognize that his illness is service-related, won't even provide him with the liquid nourishment that he needs since he can't eat food. So they have to rely on donations and gifts from friends just to get this liquid protein or vitamin. It's like a baby food almost that they can actually put directly through a feeding tube into his stomach. He doesn't even get that. So he's fighting you know, just to get the nourishment that he needs. And this is part of the problem that the soldiers go through. You know, on the one hand, that they're sick. Many of them are, are dying. So you're fighting that physical battle. But at the same time, you're trying to fight the VA for recognition, either to get health care or to get compensation or, or even to get recognition. So it's, it's a losing battle for a lot of people. 
we're hoping that the more people see it, the more people spread the words. In fact, there's an organization called Tug, T-U-G-G dot com. And anybody can go onto this platform that they have and request a screening in their hometown. And people can see clips of the picture, I would guess, by going uh, where? Right. If they go to burnpitsdocumentary.com, they can follow the whole story of the, mov- of, of the movie. There's clips. There's, there's news stories to keep them up to date with what's going on with Burn Pits in general. There's also a link where they can download the film. We're also on Facebook. Documentarian Gregory Lovett, who's produced the new film Delay, Deny, Hope You Die, about Iraq and Afghanistan veterans who say their exposure to toxic burn pits while deployed has led to terrible cancers and lung diseases doctors say they rarely see in younger people. What's the principal obstacle that people have to overcome that they don't seem to be able to uh, with regard to getting treatment for this? Well, the big problem is that the burden of proof is on the soldier. They have to show that their illness is service-related. And you don't always get sick in a day. A lot of these soldiers came home and they were healthy, like Brian Alvarado. His symptoms didn't start showing up until a year after he was out of service. And if you have cancer, those those take a long time to actually develop. So you're, sometimes they don't go to the VA until two, three, four, five years later. In the case of Brian, for example, his private doctor told him because he didn't smoke, he got a very rare kind of cancer in the throat. This is some kind of toxin. You were poisoned by something. But he's not in uh, Iraq anymore. So... How does he prove 100% that he was exposed to these chemicals? Besides common sense, the fact that you're burning rubber and metal and plastics and all kinds of things that are illegal in the United States anyway and outlawed, burning it with JP-8, which is jet fuel, which in and of itself is a carcinogen, it's up to them to somehow show that these illnesses are service-related. And as long as the VA continues to say it's not service-related, it's a real, real struggle. You talk with a couple of uh, physicians in the documentary, uh, and these are people who have spent some considerable time looking at this uh, issue. What did they have to say? They believe that the, the majority of these issues are service-related, um, but um, they're, they're private doctors, and a lot of private doctors say that these issues are service-related or at least toxin-related, illnesses caused by some kind of poisoning. But they're private doctors. They don't control what the VA does. They certainly don't control the funds that are allocated to help the soldiers. So their opinions are not meaningless, but they're kind of ignored. Some of the doctors, the doc, actually both the doctors that you saw in the documentary testified previously on Capitol Hill. So they're well-respected doctors, and they, they've tried to support the veterans. But as long as the military continues to deny that there's any link and the VA refuses to, to help, help people, there's not a whole lot that, that they can do. Your documentary is entitled Delay, Deny, Hope You Die. I think a lot of veterans in the audience will get the meaning of that, but uh, explain. That's actually a quote from uh, one of the soldiers in the documentary, and what he's referring to is is the problems that they face in dealing with, with the VA, that they feel they're being ignored, their symptoms aren't taken seriously, and they're afraid that the same thing's going to happen to them as what happened to the, the Vietnam veterans with Agent Orange, that it's going to take a long time before anybody starts to do any research into this, a long time before they acknowledge it, they're going to continue to deny that there's any link, and over time, it won't matter because all these soldiers will die. That's Greg Lovett, director of the documentary Delay, Deny, Hope You Die. One of the veterans featured in Greg's film is Jesse Baca, who lives in New Mexico. Talking just a bit, Jesse and I figured out we'd both been at sea off Iran some years ago on different ships, but at the same time, 
He was in the Navy then, but went on to a long career in the New Mexico Air National Guard. And it was multiple deployments with that unit that took him to Iraq. The first burn pit, I saw him when we landed in Balad. We came off the airplane and things were really hot, really going on. And you could see the plumes of smoke as soon as you got off the airplanes. And it stayed with us the entire trip. What year was that? Uh, 2004, June of 2004. I was there um, approximately four, almost five months. And we were less than a quarter of a mile from the burn pits. Because where we hangered our F-16s, they were right in line with the burn pits. And our housing area was just on the opposite side, about the same distance. I'll tell you what, the, it wasn't very windy at times. So the smoke would just hang. It would, it would continuously hang on you. We were hoping for some winds and it would at least blow the smoke away. But most of the time, I'd say 90% of the time, it was calm and the smoke would sink down to about knee level. And then people have talked about the, not dust, but things that you, you would notice on your uniform or on your face. Oh, absolutely. The ashes would fall on you all the time. It's, it's kind of scary. You see those movies like, um, like the Holocaust and you see the, the crematoriums, how that would like snow. Or something like that. So you were there for five months on this first deployment. Did you go back? I did. I went back in October of uh, 2007 till the spring of 2008. Again at Balad? Same base. Right. Same base. And at the same time, they were continuing to uh, burn, not use incinerators, but these pits to burn things? The burn was even greater. It was even more prevalent. So you come back from that deployment. When did you first start noticing symptoms that raised questions about your state of health? I noticed it right away during the deployment. I, I was never felt right. I was continuously ill, fighting a flu-like symptoms. That was probably the biggest indicator. When we got back to the States, I went from a 12-mile runner with ease to having great difficulty even running a mile and a half. And within a year, I developed uh, a lesion on my face. Turns out to be uh, skin cancer. It was a malignant skin cancer. And uh, had to fight through that, got it cleared, and then I returned back to Iraq again. But my health conditions were deteriorating. I could never seem to get better. And I could still pass my uh, physical training, but barely. And that's, that was a huge indicator, and I just generally didn't feel right. And when I, got, when I uh, deployed back in 2007 and 2008, my health plummeted, and I was constantly going back and forth to the doctor and they'd give me every prescription you can think of from eye ointments to antibiotics to steroids and they couldn't just get well got back to the states and and that that's when the fight began that was the struggle and i kept it real quiet for a couple of years trying to get through this due to my uh enlistment in the in the military and and struggle and struggled through it until i was Firmly diagnosed in uh, 2010. And the diagnosis was? At first, we had went to doctors for close to a year back in my hometown. And they, they felt that, well, you got asthmatic symptoms, but we're not really sure what it is. And through my family and my spouse, she put the hammer down and we went to uh, Denver, pulmonary specialist. By God, they found it the first day I was there and they verified it the second they said I had toxic-induced asthma, but they weren't the primary people that had discovered this. So they referred us to Vanderbilt Medical Center in Nashville and to see a doctor named uh, Dr. Robert Miller, big-time pulmonary specialist. We went to go see him, 
and he was he was very adamant. He says, "I believe I know what you have," due through his testing of other soldiers at uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and I fell right into that same group. And after the fourth or fifth visit, he says, "Yeah, the way to determine this a hundred percent is you need a lung biopsy." And I went ahead and went through that uh, surgical operation, uh, pretty traumatic event, and it was a hundred percent diagnosis. It's called constrictive bronchiolitis, and then an array of other sub problems that came with it. So obviously, with that diagnosis, then comes treatment that can be daunting in and of itself. But at the same time, you were also dealing with trying to. Uh, get the military to say, yes, we think this may be related to the exposure to the burn pits. Tell me about that. That was a huge battle because I was fighting uh, several fronts, several different fronts. And right now, the the VA doesn't have a classification for constricted bronchiolitis. They have COPD, uh, small airways disease, uh, emphysema is a big one. And during the time that I was battling this, my... Um, what do you call it, my uh, specimens, they were sent to a joint pathology center here in Maryland. And it's a military organization. And they looked at the slides and they, they concurred with his findings and added the emphysema rule, which opened doors for me as far as the VA was concerned. But that's the huge battle right now is recognition for this diagnosis. Do you have a sense of the number of people impacted? Is there any sort of a way to sense the scale? It's in the thousands. It, it's got to be... Personally, we know a large number of uh, veterans and people currently in the military having these issues. Jesse Baca, a veteran of service in both the Navy and Air National Guard, now one of many vets dealing with serious, sometimes fatal diseases, doctors tell them resulted from their exposure to toxic burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.